The following program is being brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. to invite you to listen to the Sharon Kleiner Hour. I'm Sharon Kleiner. I'm going to discuss with you the power of water, global warming, and your health. And I know we are all being just inundated by all these new ideas or old ideas or going back a million years learning about what has been taught and what we need to learn about taking better care of ourselves. Now, the population in the world is at 6,788,242,364 people, and it's growing. The concerns of water, sanitation, your health, and disease. Now, disease means it can spread, or you have a disease that you're walking around with that you hadn't recognized that maybe could be cured or solved or challenged and put into a future that you know how to take care of yourself. Remember every day when you get out of bed and you touch the floor. You've touched the floor to begin a life on the earth. You're living with the earth. Earth has a secret, and the secret is how you want to live with it. You can't change the earth. The earth is not going to change. It's got a cycle. You're going to learn how to live mentally free, in your own mind is what you have for your freedom, your mental uh, thinking, your mental survival, all in the mind. And that can be your personal secret. You don't have to talk to people how you mentally want to take care of your life, the gift you were giving. Today we have an exciting uh, guest. We have Dr. Andrew Hudson, who's been with, with the United Nations, with water government, with the Water Governance Program, In other words, improving access to water supplies and sanitation around the world. And it is a huge crisis, and you'll hear about the crisis it is. It's like in uh, parts of the world in Africa, they have a shortage of water, but in Asia, the sanitation is, is bad. It's a crisis. And, of course, that can spread disease all over the world. Then our second guest is going to be Rick Deitch. Rick is from uh, Knoxville, Tennessee. He is the chairman of the board and CEO of Nutrafarm, a corporation uh, research center. He's going to teach us and talk to us about what they've been doing in research to detoxify your body and balancing your pH, which means your acid mantle protection to fight disease and protect you from the problems that come through the air. We're going to listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist with Biologic Aqua Research Center a natural method of moisturizing your eyes with tissue culture-grade water with just a mist. We're going to listen to our sponsor, and we'll be right back. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. 
Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel, where the world comes to talk. Dr. Hudson, are you with us? I am. Well, thank you for joining us. I was very much excited. We've had some guests from the United Nations uh, with concerning the water and sanitation from around the world, and your background sounds just perfect for the education for our listeners today. Before we get going, I'd like the listeners to hear a little bit about you and your background. And obviously, when you're involved in what you're doing, you have a mission also that you want to accomplish and and your everyday, even though it's an everyday career, but you've got a mission because I was reading a little bit about you. Tell us about your past and why you're where you're at today. Right. Um, My personal background is mainly in um, sciences, environmental sciences, and then later I acquired some special specialization in uh, environmental economics. So I bring sort of a policy and economic side along with mm-hmm. a strong background in science. Um, historically, I was involved in both scientific research, both in, in ocean systems and in freshwater systems. Mm-hmm. And then more recently, particularly through the work I do now at the United Nations, um, in largely in the policy side and the institutional side of, of, uh, of, an, of a wide range of issues related to water, both marine and freshwater systems, uh, everything ranging from access to water from, for humans and also protecting uh, e- water-related ecosystems uh, from, from uh, mm-hmm. negative impacts. Mm-hmm. And, you're, and you're finding that the govern, governance program is something that you're very obviously encouraged by because it's said in, the, in this that, um, that uh, given the importance of water to poverty alleviate, alleviation, human and ecosystems and health, the important uh, is the management of water resources becomes of central importance. Uh, and then you've got in here 1 billion people lack access to water, although 2.4 billion people do not have proper sanitation. Then you come along and mention it is a crisis. You mentioned um, in here the failures in water governments, governance. And I excuse me for having to governance means providing a, um, a new uh, control system on how to govern water systems and obviously provide them for li- lifelong uh, safety. Um, w- tell us about what you've been doing with this word called water governance. Uh, to try to help uh, people around the world. Right. Well, when we say water governance, we really mean the whole range of um, human structures, everything from at the top level of the federal government, the institutions, the the legal frameworks, the the policy structures, uh, down into the level of uh, provinces and even down to the level of communities. And then beyond that, we're not just talking about government, government, as you said, but we're also talking about uh, the role and involvement of different aspects of civil society, of community groups, of uh, non-profit organizations. So what you did, Derek, and every once in a while I'll uh, interrupt uh, to mm-hmm. ask some questions uh, for the listeners, too. Um, so in other words, what you found, and uh, I've been in water research for over 30 years, and you found that the lack of understanding came right all the way to the feet or they're walking on the ground. In other words, everybody who gets up every day living their lives you needed them to be involved for them to, to find the importance of how important it is 
to learn more about how to protect your water and provide the water for a long term. And you found that the governance side of it was bringing in a team of people, committees of people, all the way down to the community, even the people who are turning on the tap in their home, so they'll, learn, they'll be part of this movement also. That's right. It needs to be a very uh, you know, both top-down and bottom-up procedure process involving the stakeholders at all are levels. Are you right? Down right. the community level. Yeah. Yeah, in fact, uh, we've had people on the show, Dr. Hudson, that have traveled all over the world when people had no water but to go to the nearest little water location where all the animals and everybody else was bathing and Mm -hmm. getting their water and the women um, and the children helping to carry those urns of water and all the way over to their uh, home. And I mentioned one time, what if they drop it? They have to start all over again if they've dropped the water by chance because it's a survival every day. Oh, that's right. It takes, you know, those process of finding water, retrieving water, uh, you know, bringing it back, as you know, it can take enormous amounts of time. And, of course, th- that time loss takes away from those people's opportunities to have livelihoods, to have jobs, to create more wealth. And so the water crisis is, in particular, because it's a, a crisis affecting, in particular, the poor, the people in rural areas, uh, it's not only a health crisis and a, um, uh, you know, a uh, crisis of division between the, the 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 rich and the poor, but it's also very much a socioeconomic crisis because it it really prevents these people from enjoying full opportunities to pursue livelihoods. Well, and then also, Doctor Hudson, it also causes a, a rampant um, diseases all over the world because people who don't have pro- drink enough water, people who don't have proper water available to them, and sanitation. If you travel the world and anybody's walked anywhere near where those people have been at any time, there could be an, a disease rampant moving that you don't even know because you've been around the world to where there's uh, parasites in the water. There's, uh, we come from uh, a situation here in the United States where your chances are better, although I've had people get water diseases in the United States. They were shocked because of their pipe at home or their, or their wells at home. They didn't know it. Uh, so it doesn't make any difference what, how much money you have. Sometimes you forget that the world must t- look at the word you said, crisis, that this, is go- this has gotten to be more people, 1 billion without the water, but 2.4 billion without proper sanitation. So you take the, add those up at the amount of people that are on the earth that we are exposed to, that could cause a rampant, out-of-control disease uh, problem around the world. Yes, and you know, and I, numbers, I don't want to yeah. sound like uh, I don't <laughs> want to play the violin, but you know, uh, Dr. Hudson, I found years ago that if we don't say crisis with water, if we don't emphasize water and sanitation go together, and disease, health, and outlook on life, that people forgot about it. They. Uh, through the years, it said in the uh, story you had that people literally had not re- thought of how to go about protecting the water of the world because if the planet doesn't have water, you don't have any life. Yes, and you know, you start scaling up those numbers. You're talking almost two million deaths a year from the diseases and uh, you know illnesses caused by by dirty water, by improper sanitation, uh, and so it is a crisis, and it, it needs to, as you exactly note, it needs to be 
brought to the public's attention repeatedly because uh, you know in in the aggregate uh, the the amount of donor assistance going into the sector has you know it, it has gone on increases for periods and then it's often mm-hmm. flattened and even dropped mm-hmm. again right. the amount of money that the, the host governments the the governments that are suffering these problems are often putting in is 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 inadequate as well particularly for sanitation which is often called the the the, the, the orphan uh, sector because it's just not doesn't often have ownership within government, so it's not mm-hmm. getting the necessarily both uh, political and financial attention. Now, it isn't it funny, Doctor, what, how our government looks at life? You know, uh, our life out there depends upon the water, sanitation, good health, attitude, and, and behavior, and confidence, and survival of, of getting every day. And, and concerning yourself about what's good for all, and not always just for yourself. And the government doesn't always go for, the, for the, what I believe is the most important of all life is the water on this planet, sanitation, and it all comes together from there on with your, the, what you're calling water governance. In the old world, what I was learning, Doctor, is way back in time when foreign countries, uh, the, the neighborhoods and the communities were not, lost their water. So one person had some good water, so they started sharing it daily. And then all of a sudden they started using it as a business to share, and they took it out to sharing it as a business because they knew they had to bottle it and put money into uh, the bottling. And then they learned the word later about sanitation. In other words, bringing modern plumbing into the focus also, knowing that that would also help protect the waters in the ground and diseases in the home. Now, what are you learning are some of the most important education issues that our audience needs to learn and maybe join in and help you uh, with this governance program? Well, I think awareness of the scale of the crisis, of the fact that it is much more a crisis of governance, and so it requires... um, in many cases, you know, citizens of the Western world who have, as you know, largely do have access to these basic services, we, we, we pretty much take for granted, to advocate to their governments uh, as the donor, you know, the sources of financing and support and technical assistance for these, for these needs to, to do so uh, and, and for people to really take these issues to heart. Uh, as ones that can have enormous impact uh, on, on livelihoods at a, at a scale that is un- unbelievable. If you look at, for example, the economic loss globally that is uh, resulting from this, this huge gap in access to water and sanitation, it's something on the order of $38 billion a year of lost economic potential. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the, uh, the so-called um, millenn- Millennium Development Goals that the United Nations developed some years ago, which basically sought to have um, the proportion of people in the world without access to these two services. And uh, the good news is the global goal for water is on track to be achieved. Uh, but even with that achieved, that would still leave uh, on the order of seven to 800 million people without access as of the target year of 2015. So there's still a lot of work ahead. And so I think everyone can get involved by voicing their concern, by writing to their, their representatives and Congress people, uh, wherever they're from. Mm-hmm. The other one I found that people were not finding the importance of water and number one, your health. You know, uh, I'm a believer, doctor, that if you can, that's why I did this show. A lot of people, I'm the founder of Biologic Aqua Research Center, but uh, I decided I wanted to get the message out and get the story told that the power of water and, uh, is so vital to your health and your life for long-term living on earth. 
And the Earth is, a, is a, a, one of the planets in the solar system that uniquely has had the availability to be there long-term forever in eternity if it works hard enough as the people on it. If you take your plans with the United Nations and water governance and bring it to the communities of every country of the world, and especially our 50 states, can you imagine those 50 states are like 50 little countries? Get them involved in their kids and the schools. Have a power of water day, I'm envisioning. And get these people thinking, without the water, you can't even be healthy. If you're not drinking enough water, you're not going to be healthy. If you don't have proper sanitation, you're not going to be healthy. Diseases will be rampant. Even in, in nations, countries like ours, um, uh, that education, and people are taking it for granted if they have plenty of it, but then all of a sudden when they don't have enough or the sanitation is so bad, they, they, they get alarmed. But, you know, Dr. Hudson, if they had to pay money on a budget to pass for clean water, I don't know if people would really pass the budget. Well, and that's Now, another, I'm going to be, yeah, I'm yeah. being a little, I hope, you know, true. They don't pass the budget for children to get the education for learning to grow and be healthy citizens. Right. Mm-hmm. So they're not, what are they going to do about water? Um, we're finding, uh, but again, uh, you've got a fabulous mission there program. I like that, bringing it like in the old days, way back in time, our forefathers believed in bringing the committees of the community together, and then the community will be part of it, and then the, the public relations campaign can go a lot faster, and with less money, too, by the way, mm-hmm. when you bring the community involved. Now, and the sanitation uh, out there, what are you learning about? Uh, I noticed it said Asia, but other, other places in the world that are, have ignored sanitation. Well, we might say China. Well, that's right. You could still look, and there's probably close to 70 to 80 countries in the world that are not on target to meet these Millennium Development Goals I, I referred to earlier for sanitation in particular. As you know, the number without access is still $2.4 billion, and the world is not on target to achieve that goal. At the same time, there have been really amazing successes at the community level in particular uh, with so-called uh, creation of these uh, local uh, initiatives where you have um, people in the village become sort of sanitation advocates and help just through building awareness through a bit of uh, uh, strong uh, promotion and, and, and um, uh, yeah, awareness raising, help improve the practices of people when they often do have sanitation facilities but don't use them right. and just don't recognize some of the, the costs that are involved with that. So these so-called movement to uh, these open defecation-free zones to remove that, that, that threat to the local drinking water, those have been very successful. We've seen uh, communities go from maybe 10% use of sanitation services to close to 100% in very short periods of time. So these are not expensive uh, propositions. They require some capacity, some, some backstopping. But in essence, you can put the problem back in the people's hands, and they can solve it themselves in many cases. I, I agree with that totally. Um, put it in the hands of, of the t- committees and the communities, and, and, down to the, I, I, and I would bring children involved. You know, very Dr. Much, Hudson, yeah. I learned way back in time that when you get children involved, they get enthusiastic, they get excited because they're part of a crusade for the planet that everybody on the planet can relate to with them. And they may think, I, in fact, I've watched children, doctor, they, this new generation don't think that they're not important. They really believe they're as important as anybody else as a person. 
Have you Abs- noticed that? Absolutely. I think there's a huge groundswell in both the developed world and in the developing world of children who have, are coming up with much higher levels of awareness of these water issues and also the linked environmental issues of protecting exactly. their local ecosystems that also need the water services. So absolutely, I think the children have an enormous role to play. Huge role. The They're wanting to learn, to, I think, to eat better. I think we're going to see a very fascination of a revolution in, and a new idea among youth that want to take better care of themselves in the future. I think uh, I could be wrong, uh, although I think I'm right, uh, that they're really wanting to get, they're hungry to want to know, well, I guess if I need to do this, I will do this. Yes, there's going to be children that haven't gotten to that point yet, young people, let's say. Uh, But then when they get to about college age and out on the streets looking for jobs, all of a sudden they find out very quickly that they want to be part of a society of uh, understanding how do I take care of myself so I can make it, uh, I can also be adding to a better place yeah. on this planet. You know, in, the, in the developing world, it's it's very most often the water diseases that we discussed earlier, water sanitation related diseases that are keeping young children out of school, and also, for example, not permitting uh, young girls to go to school because of inadequate or inappropriate um, sanitation facilities. And so these things have a huge impact on those children, and of course that means that those, those communities and ultimately those countries' ability to develop uh, culturally, economically, and, and socially. And so, you know, addressing the children is critical. We're going to take a break and listen to our sponsor's message, too. But when we come back, let's do that. Let's discuss the children out there in the world that you have been exposed to that uh, for water and uh, sanitation that's available to them and the, pos- and, and the new governance program among children, what might come someday on the new social networks that are available to us, because uh, it's there. Uh, uh, be thinking about some of your own uh, experiences you've had with the kids. We're going to listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist, the natural method of su- su- uh, supplementing the tear film. If you have dry eye, allergies, wear contacts, or sit in front of a computer, Nature's Tears Eye Mist sells at CVS Drugstore Nationwide and it also on BiologicAqua.com. We're going to listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist, and we'll be right back with Dr. Hudson. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. Listen. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. You're listening to the Sharon Kleiner Hour, The Power of Water and Your Life and Your Health. Our show is on World Talk Radio, Green Talk Radio, and on Apple iTunes. And Dr. Hudson, I think if we can discuss the children and what what you've been experiencing with children around the world, and like you said, um, the children are having to stay home and help the family uh, carry the water to the home every day, and especially the little girls. Uh, what are you learning about children? Uh, have you run into anything yet that they're very serious about wanting to get involved, or is that still not, uh, you haven't run into that yet? 
And sorry, do you mean involvement of children in, in the developed world yes, with this, yes. this issue? Right, yeah. or in around the world, the children yeah. who didn't get to go to school that day because they had to help tr- uh, carry the water to the home. Well, exactly. It's their commitment to their need, the, the, the need to in, involve them in just provision of water supplies and also, as I mentioned, the, the, the illnesses and disease that in particular plague young children and keep them out of school, out of uh, out of providing livelihood support to the family, which are you know, largely involved in rural communities, in farming, and in uh, these kind of practices. And so the cumulative impact of these, this gap in children's ability to you know, learn, to grow uh, physically, mentally, etc., uh, is not just a, a local impact on the family and not just on the community, but it, it rolls up to the entire uh, long-term economic potential that a given country would have. And so, you know, getting at the children is key to this. And, you know, and organizations within the United Nations system, such as UNICEF, of course, focus very heavily on ensuring uh, that children are, are getting access to these basic supplies. Mm-hmm. You know, I always think about the sanitation that so many of us take for granted uh, from way back in time when we began with in- indoor modern facilities. And you stop and think if they're having a shortage of water, the sanitation is also going to be suffering. Um, and, you know, we all take for granted washing our hands. And lately with the swine flu, Dr. Hudson, remember they're saying wash your hands every day all, as often as you can. Um, now people are learning how important it is just to wash your hands. What if you don't have water to wash your hands? Very true. And, you know, but even, even with, the, you know, modest quality water supplies, just that simple act of washing your hands with soap is a pivotal one for, you know, maintaining human health and cleanliness. And so a lot of these so-called WASH campaigns or water sanitation and hygiene campaigns run by UNICEF and many other organizations focus very heavily on just the awareness and education to ensure that in particular that young children know that uh, after, you know, appropriate uh, certain acts and, and, and before eating, of course, that you get just a, a wash with, with basic soap, and that by itself can have can reduce the, the, the prevalence, in, prevalence and the incidence of disease enormously. Oh, of course it would, yes. And, and the person starts getting more knowledgeable uh, and more um, aware uh, of themselves and others around them to think that way. Do you have any um, particular issues that you would like for the audience to hear? Uh, yes, you're having, uh, we're having a global water issue. We're having a sanitation issue. Is there a particular um, education that you're finding um, that you would like the audience to hear? Are there, is the United States have different United Nations going into these countries and teaching them how to with a special type of uh, water governments? Governance, I have to say that, I keep wanting to say government. With the water governance, do you, go in, do you have any particular country in mind you'd like to discuss with us? Um, well, not specifically a country, but you, know, you did mention other issues, and I think a really key, not just emerging, but really quite provoc- important issue now that has come to the fore in recent years and months is that of climate change. Uh-huh. And so climate change, of course, in particular, is, is and will continue to have important impacts on the, the, the water cycle. And so in some parts of the world you might have increased rainfall, in other parts of the world you may have increased drought. And, of course, this just complicates an already challenging situation with managing water resources in terms of less predictability, less certainty, higher variability, and so forth, 
in the availability of, of, of basic water resources in terms of rainfall, in terms of uh, how long uh, local resources last. So that increases the need for help in countries ensuring they have appropriate storage mechanisms for, for water, for example, if it comes in, in, in more fits and starts because of this increased climate variability. So climate change is, is, is a very important issue, but people have to remember, in particular, it's an issue for the water sector because it will just make that much more difficult some of the challenges we already face. Mm-hmm. Have you yourself traveled uh, very far to go work with these different issues? I've been out of the field situation for a number of years, working mainly at headquarters level, but uh, in the past I had been in places like Kenya and East Africa, mm-hmm. parts of West Africa, and, and, and so forth. I bet you're treated like heroes when you come if they know what you're there for. Well, everybody you know, tries to make their commitment and, and do it as, as well as they can. Right, yeah. right, because... Um, uh, it is a crisis, and uh, there's no. I, isn't it in, in, interesting? Our own instincts. I don't care if you're on an island all by yourself and you're brand new at life. You still have an instinct to water, and uh, you get thirsty. And, <laughs> Absolutely yeah, right. right. Yep. And our body's organism, and then all of a sudden, we don't have enough, or you're looking at it, and it just you know it's something wrong with it, and then one member of the family gets sick. And you know it could be the water, and then do you drink water for the rest and for the for how long? Do you put off drinking any water at all? Yeah, and exactly as you said before, those of us from the the West who have traveled to developing countries and have had the unfortunate experience of being exposed to to, to dirty water, we really it's a it's a, it can be extremely dangerous. You know, get dehydrated uh, and you become very sick. And so realizing that at a given time, in some estimates, that is much of uh, roughly half the population of the developing world at any given time in, in, in history, in recent history, is suffering from one or more water or sanitation-related illnesses. And our population is growing. Exactly, exactly. So it's, it's, it's pervasive and there's still an enormous amount of work to be done. And you probably have run into where villages were having water wars. Water well, conflict. that gets another issue of exactly of water, of conflict over water, which is... is there's a number Deadly. of threats at, at the village level, at the interstate level, and of course, ultimately, possibly at the international level. But on that, I should touch ba- touch on, at the international level in particular, there's been a lot of uh, progress made on multinational cooperation on water resources, places like the Nile Basin, the Mekong, and others. And the, the general uh, prognosis is is actually one of uh, positive outlook in terms of the, 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 the results of the cooperation, that the cooperation, in fact, is fostering uh, things like regional economic integration, improve political cooperation, inclu- and it really ultimately improve peace and security. So right. in many cases, shared water across national borders mm-hmm. has been a real catalyst for, for cooperation and not mm-hmm. for conflict. Wonderful. Oh, that's good to hear. Now, you know what goes on in the United States, because uh, we've had so many guests on uh, that are heading the U.S. National for- uh, the Forest Service, and, and we get into the waters and the streams and all, all and the states that are sharing their water here in the United States, sharing their water if, with other states if they wouldn't have any, enough water. And you know what's going on in California because of the agriculture water. We've got an uh, enormous amount of acreage for agricultural food to be grown that can't even get the water right now. So you can imagine their issues with water that they just are absolutely startled that they can't uh, uh, grow the, uh, the food that is necessary to exist in our country by a particular state that has an enormous volume of food that comes out of there a year with agriculture, all because of water. 
Yeah, and and this 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 tendency where agriculture is one of the biggest users of water is not just here in the United States, but it's really true around the world. Where in most countries it's 80 percent or more of total water usage, and of course this has gotten, as you've seen here in the states, but also in many other parts of the world, into very complex and often quite uh, conflicting issues with water use in agriculture and issues related to proper pricing of subsidies. Uh, and, and so, you know, there it's important to use appropriate economic signals and, and, and instruments to send the right message to promote water use efficiency, for example, and, and to, you know, optimize use of water, so, sort of, so more crop per drop, as they often say. So these are very important issues uh, that, that have uh, very long-term implications. Now, also, with your uh, education, do you ever get into the particular pipes that they're using? In other words, they've got a water source. Are you teaching them about uh, the way they're bringing that to the home and turning on the tap? Are they learning that the, maybe the pipes uh, also can cause a disease? Right. Within where I work in UNDP, we're less involved uh, in the infrastructure and the, the technology side, much more in the governance, as, as mm-hmm. we noted. But I'm sure some of the other agencies, UNICEF, UN Habitat, mm-hmm. that are actually worked, working on direct service provision, including uh, pipe systems in some cases, do advise on those specific issues. Because the education there is so important, because you may go into an area where they've had this one source with the same pipe for a long time. Right. Right. And uh, the one thing I've tried to teach people that when you turn something on and you turn it off, there's a hydraulic in the pipe that, ter- that backs up or comes forward with the water. Every time you turn it on, turn it off, and maybe you haven't let the water run long enough to clean it out if, it's been, if you haven't turned it on for a few hours. People don't realize how important that is to any home, any building, is that when you go to get something out of the wa- uh, turn on the faucet, You've got to let it run a little while. Let that pipe clean out a little bit because who knows what's down there. Even in modern uh, facilities and homes, you don't know. Yo, I think that's a very good idea. It's good practice, definitely. Just yeah. turn it on, let it run every, anywhere we're at. Um, what else would you like to teach us today about what's going on? And Now, did you, uh, you heard me mention China. Uh, China was having so much trouble with their water. Uh, have you anything to offer with what China's doing to improve that? Because they've had a lot of water problems and a lot of sanitation problems with their, with their population being so large. Yeah, and I, but I'll give China enormous credit because with the obviously the power of enormous economic growth in the last really almost 30 years, uh, a lot of wealth creation, China has invested quite significantly mm-hmm. in, in provision of water supply and sanitation service, obviously more heavily in the urban areas where there's been huge growth in urban populations. Mm-hmm. So I think in general you'll see your, your access statistics in China in the urban areas are, are, are quite good. Mm-hmm. And I think China as a, in the whole is, is actually on target or probably ahead of target for the Millennium Development Goal. But as you note, in the, in the more rural regions where still the vast majority of Chinese live, uh, there are challenges to in, in, in increasing access to sanitation and water, and I think um, you know they're taking a lot of steps to do so. But because of the scale of the population, of course, China represents a very special cha- challenge. And the same with India. Both countries I mean, I are over one billion. I was going to mention India people. too, because yeah. India um, they have got to be right at the top of the chart for the for the worst sanitation. 
but also with some of the most amazing progress in, in a number of, of, of states and at the community level. They've made enormous progress. Really working progress. to try to improve that. Yeah, yeah. They, they deserve enormous credit for, for very rapid progress in many cases. That's yeah. one of the more interesting things, too, is that some of the cases we've had the most rapid sort of turnaround from very low access of water and or sanitation to relatively high access in very short periods, uh, you know, 15 to 20 years, have often occurred in some of the poorest countries. Uh, in the world, from some West African countries, Southern African countries, uh, Asian countries. So that just shows it's, and, and these countries have done this without massive investments necessarily, but more through some of these community-led programs, these awareness-raising programs, these educational programs, children-oriented programs, uh, you know, turning things literally upside down uh, through, through this kind of very strategic use of, of time and, and energy. Now, uh, something went through my mind uh, when you were talking in India when they have such a power problem with energy problem. Uh, are you familiar with the, the water situation when they can't turn on the water um, with, uh, because they're having uh, problems with the power surges and, and the problems they can only use it so many times a day? Have you heard anything about what they're trying to do to improve that in India? Because they, ha- they have a big population, and the power surges are causing a lot of inconvenience with water. Yeah, and it just underscores this very close so-called water-energy linkage or nexus, which is, is, is true in the case that you uh, provide the issue of, of hydropower as a source of water, but also as a, as a source of both managing and controlling the flows of water, storage for irrigation, agriculture, but also as a, um, a source of energy. And so there's this very complex uh, nexus between water usage for these you know, combined uh, uses of, 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 of both water supply and energy. In India, you gave a good example. For many years, the Indian um, government was, in effect, giving extremely low electricity uh, prices, basically subsidizing electricity, or um, drawdown of uh, using of pumps to draw water out of the groundwater. And, of course, this led to massive uh, excess drawdown of water in many locations. And so mm-hmm. those kind of issues have, are starting to be addressed by recognition that you know, water has to be properly priced in many cases uh, to assure its efficient use and to, to really manage it sustainably. And those are big challenges we face in, in, in many parts of the world. Mm-hmm. Is there any one particular place in the United States, I know you're the United Nations, but are, is there any one particular spot in the United States that's coming to mind that they're really having to work um, a little more challenge on uh, making sure that the state or the location parts of the United States is, has enough water? Well, yeah, because, as you know, I don't follow those issues as part of my day-to-day work, but no. certainly as a concerned citizen there, as you've noted, the parts of the Midwest, uh, Colorado, in the whole Colorado Basin, mm-hmm. uh, Sacramento Valley in California, where they faced for many, many years, uh, significant water challenges, mostly related to agricultural use, but also related to some of the massive population growth that has occurred in places like Las Vegas, uh, Phoenix, and so forth. And they face very severe water challenges there. So these are where the issues related to proper water pricing, to, uh, you know, really building in the costs of of accessing and providing water to citizens into what they pay. Uh, for those costs, so it's, you get true cost recovery. Because you know, in the United States, we can afford to do that. Uh, in many parts of the world, they need to give subsidies, especially for the poor, because the poor simply cannot afford to pay for water. Now, when you discuss the, pri- uh, the water, paying for the water, uh, what, what are you thinking? When you say pay for the water, do you mean by pay, uh, actually paying for it, not having it for free? Are you saying the price of the water that they're paying to slow down the use so people aren't overusing and they're using it rationally? What what do you mean to explain to us? Pay. Yeah, 
No, it's a very, very important element of the discussion. In particular, you know, in the developing world, you may look in a lot of uh, urban situations where people do have access, but they are often paying uh, well below the actual cost of providing that water. And these are not necessarily poor people, but more middle urban mm-hmm. people. Whereas you might go to a rural village where water is being taken in by, by truck or whatever, and people in the rural villages, much poorer people, I should note, are paying in many cases 10 to 20 times as much just for that same volume of water. So there's mm-hmm. a, a major uh, di- you know, dis- uh, problem, distinction here. And so what you have is the urban uh, people are being subsidized, and mm-hmm. whereas the, the suburban people, or the, sorry, the rural people, uh, are paying well above uh, what they can afford as, mm-hmm. as the poor. So you need to find very important uh, you know, balance between subsidized water for the most poor, the people who can really not even afford to pay at the most basic price, and, and that could even improve free water up to some certain cap. One cap recommended is 20 liters per person today. It's sort of a fundamental human amount needed, and I, you know I think it's fully appropriate for that level of uh, of water to be subsidized for the poor, mm-hmm. and at the same time, as I said earlier, to build in appropriate pricing. And of course, that means um, mon- metering systems, metering mm-hmm. systems to, to monitor how much people use mm-hmm. and to you know cost and, and bill them ac- accordingly. Uh, and so there's a lot of progress needed on that to, to really, eat, in some ways you could say, even or level the playing field. So you're back to your uh, water governance. Well, I really that like that one. I like, it's all uh, systems, it's institutions, it's yeah, policy. Yeah, getting everybody involved. Exactly. I wish they would teach classes in that in school because if they had a special class or a year during water day throughout uh, during the year going to the children here in America in their classrooms for that day and teaching them about that, I think that uh, then we'd have a growing generation um, doctor that would be coming, because uh, they're becoming environmental concerned. I truly believe that. I think that they, I have this uh, saying this year uh, that uh, personal environmental lifestyle. In other words, what you choose for yourself, each person, yourself, Dr. Hudson, myself, for your personal environmental lifestyle. It can become uh, contagious. It can become fun. It can become even chic to care about yourself and knowing that's going to help other people. Well, I, I want to thank yeah, you. Thank you. I want to thank you for joining us. And what's, I heard you guys had some um, rain there in New York over the weekend. Constantly. <laughs> <laughs> your, your, water is, your water sources are filling up the aquifers. At present, yes. yes. <laughs> well, thank you for your time. You have a nice day. You too. Thank you so Bye. much. Okay. Bye. Bye. Well, uh, I want everybody to know uh, I'm probably known throughout the world as the water nerd. You've heard of computer nerds. You've heard of all these people that I think that was absolutely wonderful education from Dr. Andrew Hudson with the United Nations. And remember, uh, it's exciting. Uh, you youth out there listening on Apple iTunes and, and on uh, Twitter and Facebook and all that we've been all trying to do and to get the education out there with the environment, you are important. We love you. This planet loves you. We're all together on this. Our next guest is Rick Deitch from Knoxville, Tennessee. He's the chairman and CEO of Nutrifarma Corporation. We're going to be discussing detoxifying your body and balancing the pH, which is your acid mantle protection. We're going to listen to our sponsor, and we'll be right back with Rick. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. 
Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Rick, are you with us? I'm right here. Well, thank you for joining us. I, um, <clears throat> excuse me, um, tell our audience a little bit about your background, and you obviously have a mission in your life because I've read a little bit about you. Tell us about what you've been doing and what you do today. I'd be happy to. Thanks for having me on the show. Thank well, you. Well, uh, I am a biochemist. I'm a little different in the field because I'm both a nutritional and a pharmaceutical biochemist. Okay. Yeah, as a pharmaceutical biochemist, I run the company Nutrapharma Corporation. Uh, anyone, anyone can feel free to go to Nutrapharma.com. Okay. We're, we're a publicly traded biotechnology company with uh, drugs for the treatment of pain, multiple sclerosis, HIV, and adrenal myelineuropathy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's me as a pharmaceutical biochemist. But as a nutritional biochemist, I've been working for the last 15 years on uh, issues of human nutrition and prevention of disease and dysfunction. Mm-hmm. Uh, I worked for the Rexall Sundown Company for many years, uh, finishing as a vice president of, of uh, products uh, products and sciences. Mm-hmm. And my work there basically did clinical research on different dietary supplements and how they might uh, mitigate or uh, reduce risk for disease. Mm -hmm. And what we found over years is that uh, one of the biggest issues is our exposure to environmental toxicity, that uh, we have a body burden, an increase in uh, environmental toxins. You know, Rick, uh, my audience has heard me say many times, and uh, I'm like a record player. I like to repeat things over and over again, but this is how I explain to everyone out there. The moment you were, you were in your mother's womb in a pocket of water. When you were born, you came out of that pocket of water, you entered in the air you breathe, and all of a sudden there was a suction cup of dehydration. We be, there are no two eyes alike, no two skins on the complexion alike, no two fingerprints alike, and more, not alike. We are walking as a dehydrating to the final moment that people have to realize you're living in the air you breathe and the skin organ is the detoxifying organ that backs up the moisture so you don't you have a dam but your eyelid when the eyes are open the eye is the only organ that's exposed to the world without the skin over it all day long and that moisture in the air is vital if there is not enough moisture for the uniqueness of your dehydration you can have a serious toxifying problem not detoxifying. In other words, and you're not drinking enough water. And in other words, when we're born, Rick, we're not, we don't have a little moisture meter checking uh, the baby, the toddler, the teenager, and the growth. It's just going in and checking out other, than, uh, other uh, vital signs and tests. But that toxification is vital. I, uh, uh, and your pH is people thought it was just a little phony baloney way to sell another product to have to be pH balanced. So today, tell us about how important it is to, the, number one, we'll have to have another show if you can do it on nutrition also, but on, on what, what have you learned about detoxifying? Because I will tell you, Rick, people, even your walking medical field out there, forget about having what they personally are eating to have to detoxify it. 
Well, I, I have to tell you, it's actually worse than, you, uh, than you're portraying right now because even in the womb, uh, toxins are passed on from the mother to the unborn child. Exactly. There was a study published by the Environmental Working Group four years ago that showed over 200 toxic compounds found in umbilical cord blood of newborns, mm-hmm. and 70 of those compounds were potentially cancer-causing. And so uh, since the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, we've been born with a higher and higher body burden of toxins. And depending on the individual, some people are better detoxifying than others. So this was a very frustrating thing for me and my research partner, Dr. Stuart Lonke, who's a pulmonologist, a lung doctor from Los Angeles. And he sees a lot of people from sick and toxic buildings, from occupational exposure. You are right. Oh, Rick, you're right. I said, you know, through the years in my studies that, Outdoor conditions, you can complain all day, but the indoor conditions, Rick, are a pit. Exactly, and, a and pit. I said also occupational exposure, chemists, people that work in factories, and so we started investigating what are these toxins. And they think they're they modern, and, Rick. And, uh, <laughs> these, uh, the, the frustrating part to us is that there was, there was really no one place with all this information, and so mm-hmm. we decided to write the book. And we authored a book called Invisible Killers. Mm-hmm. And it really, it, it, I, I hate the title to tell you the truth because it, it sounds like all it is is negative, but it really does tell you where do these toxins come from, how are we exposed to them, what do they do to us in our bodies to increase disease and dysfunction. But then we have a huge section of the book about avoiding the toxins, mitigating the risk of exposure, and detoxifying, how to get these mm-hmm. things out of the body. Mm-hmm. And so that, that really has become the, the focus, and we're in the process now of making a documentary with Peter Coyote called Clear, which uh, is really all about detoxification. Mm-hmm. Oh, fabulous. That is wonderful. We'll have to have you on uh, when that does comes on. Now, tell us, now remember, we're, let's just pretend like we're all, including yourself, we're all walking on this globe. We're all kind of laymen because we do not have a test to test ourselves uh, out every moment of the day. Uh, what does a person do with their daily activity to learn how to detoxify without taking all of those bottles of stuff that says, oh, this will detoxify you, this is a detoxification? What do we do with that? How do we narrow it into where we might have a supplement, but what do we do with common sense? Well, well, first we talk about avoiding, okay? Okay, okay, that's common sense. (laughs) Uh, You avoid toxins. You say common sense, but some people just don't realize what they're surrounded with. One of my favorite examples is dry cleaning. Uh, I'm not saying that dry cleaning is a bad thing or we should do away with dry cleaning, but the chemicals used in dry cleaning are volatile organic compounds, mm-hmm. and they are very, very dangerous. Now, I'm going to say something, Rick, real quickly, and I know we're going to have to have you on for the 40-minute side if we can get you on sometime, and I'd like to do it soon. Uh, also, what you just said is uh, each individual has to learn that the common sense of, of the dry cleaning, but what about the chemicals in the clothing you just bought that you don't know what the chemicals were? Well, exactly, but the, the thing I'm most concerned with is what gets off-gassed easily. What's e- the easiest thing to... There we go, off-gassed easily. Yeah. And so that's what volatile means. When they say volatile organic, it means that it goes into the gaseous state very easily and so it can be inhaled. Mm-hmm. And when what most of us get our dry cleaning, it's wrapped in plastic, and we put it into our closets, right. our little closed closets, and we want right. those closed, we rip off the plastic inside that closed space. Yeah. And we, in, in essence, we're maximizing exposure as much as we could. Mm-hmm. And so I tell people, if you're going to get your dry cleaning, open it outside where it's well ventilated, it can off-gas oh, outside, great. and you okay. cut down exposure by more. No, I have never done that. I, I, um, so open it up outdoors, not outside on the porch, and then walk in. 
Exactly. You're, okay. you're cutting that exposure by 90%. That's just one example. I can give you hundreds of examples of things around the house that could lower your exposure. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but let's, let's get right to the detoxification part. Uh, there's lots of products out that are quote-unquote detox products. 90-some percent of them are simply digestive cleansers. Things I know. Like fibers, uh, laxatives, diuretics. Things that help you go to the bathroom. Exactly. Now, the problem with that is... Oh, and by the way, the audience needs to know, you actually uh, detoxify more through your skin than you go to the bathroom. Yeah, well, it's both through your sweat, through your your hair follicles pull out Mm -hmm. toxins, Mm -hmm. but certainly uh, through fecal matter and through urine, you detoxify as well. Right. And those, those products actually work, those wasting products. But they, there are three major issues. The first one is one that's warm and dear to your heart is dehydration. Almost all those products can cause severe dehydration. You Serious have dehydration. plenty of water when you're using those. Yeah. Um, the second issue is addiction. A lot of those products you grow used to, and so uh, if you stop taking them, you don't function well. So these now, you just hit on one. We're going to have to for sure do addiction. <laughs> that, no, no. De- you know, I, in, I, in research potentially, I want to go into learning more about what the, de- de- the dehydration that's causing addiction today. Rick, our society is out of control addicted. They're getting addicted to the computer. They, you know, they've been addicted to chocolate and sugar. We've had addictions of all kinds, and the, the typical were the alcohol and the drugs or illegal drugs or whatever. But and, oh, do you know people can, the eyes can get, uh, organ could get addicted to eye drops. Uh, and the organs make those decisions. But when you say addicted, the body did something that you didn't know it was doing. By taking those particular supplements, your, your organs became addicted to doing it. Well, I'm also a proponent of uh, Dr. Kenneth Blum's work, Addiction and the Reward Deficiency in the Addictive Brain. Mm-hmm. And that really talks about how our diets or, or lack of proper nutrition can lead to our addictive natures. Mm-hmm. And so uh, he's got... 50, 60 publications, a ton of patents, and that's Kenneth Blum, B-L-U-M, if anyone wants to look into that. But it talks about how simply changing your diet could help you not be so addicted to the things around you mm-hmm. and deal with OCD. We've only got a few moments left, and I hope, would you have time to come on again? Because you have a wealth of information to the world. <laughs> I, and you I know we are also on Apple Tunes, so let's go after those kids. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But uh, real quickly, on the pH balance, we, we're, we've only got 30 seconds left. Do you have anything on the pH you'd like to say real quickly? I was, I was one of those incredulous guys when I saw pH products, thinking it was just some way to, to prey on people. Yeah, I, I yeah. understand it. Because there's dozens of mechanisms in the body to regulate pH. But the more I looked into it, the more I realized that our poor diet, lack of exercise, and then disease states like diabetes greatly increase our risk for acidic pH, lowering the pH. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I'm mostly doing research now on zeolite-based products, uh, which are natural minerals that not only detoxify you, but balance the pH very well. And we just conducted three clinical studies that show that. Well, let's, let's, uh, I hope you have time again for another show because I'd like to have you on for the 40 minutes. As you heard today, we had our arranged the United Nations. But um, I'd like to hear you've, you're worth a wealth of information to save lives and get people thinking about that. I've got this slogan this year, Rick, personal environmental lifestyle choices. And you really have a wealth of information, and your company has done a great, great mission there with what you're learning. Well, thank you. I, I'd, be, I want, I'd be happy to come back on. Oh, thank you. And you ha- thank you for being with us, and I hope you have a nice day. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Wasn't that fascinating? Rick is absolutely a very exciting guest. So we'll have Rick on again 
and learn more because the detoxification of your choices, the pH of your balance for acid disease protection is very vital. You know, Hippocrates had a, something that was very important to all of us, that teaching equality of good advice to everyone is to live this life on this earth fully and be aware of all of your your education that you can. And did you know that Hippocrates, was? they called him the doctor of the water because he believed in water. Drink eight to ten glasses of water a day. Earth has a secret. Embrace your life every precious moment. And I know Earth is whispering. Never say goodbye. You're going to leave your footprint. I know it because you're listening because you care about your personal environmental lifestyle choices and all around us. We thank you for listening. Have a nice day. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.